You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Hello, Feasters! A beautiful, blessed Sunday to everybody. Hey, if you are happy that you are here in this place, can you type in the chat box very quickly, it's good to be here, or I'm happy to be here, or I'm blessed to be here. We want to welcome you to the happiest place in the online world. Welcome to Feast at Home. And by we, I don't just mean me and Brother Bo. No, I actually mean me and my kiddos as well. This is our four-year-old son. His name is Ethan. Can you say hi to everybody, Ethan? Hi. Hello. And this is our five-month-old baby, Ellie. Elisha, she is such a bundle of joy to be around in. And, you know, just two things that I want to share with you this morning, or, or today rather. Um, first thing is that your family should always be and will always be your first ministry. All right? Never forget that. So serve them. Serve them well. Serve them with love. Serve them with patience and mercy and understanding. But the second thing is, especially if you've got kids, serve with them. Serve with your family. You know, teach them about the joy of service, about the, the joy of loving others, loving God and loving others. That's a, a secret recipe to have happiness in this world. All right? Anyway, we want to welcome also all our first-timers. If this is your first time to attend this session, welcome to the family. Everybody help us welcome everybody. Type in, welcome to the family. Welcome home. We want to invite you to a very intimate and small gathering called Zumustahan that happens right after the session. We've got one at 10 a.m. and then one is at 1 p.m. So there's a little break. We usually end around 12 noon so that you can have lunch. You know, we don't want, to, we, we don't want you complaining that you're hungry while you're in the session, all right? So please join us. We want to welcome you officially and then also give you a special gift. All right? But if you're not a first-timer and you also want to join in, oh, by all means, you can be part of that. If you're a regular timer or a repeater or a comebacker, please do join in, all right? We hope that we can get together and talk about how God is working and blessing you right now. Okay, one last announcement before we start our message for today. I want to personally, we want to personally invite you to this brand new, check this out, beautiful, beautiful pastoral program called The Search. There you go, The Search. This is not a contest for the one who is the most talented. Uh, this is also not a search for mingle, uh, single people looking to mingle, all right? This is more of a journey that you want to take to discover who you are from within. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What am I searching for? Or maybe another deep question is, am I really happy? You know, you might wake up at a time in your life, you might be in your senior years or in your exit season, so to speak. You know, you don't want to arrive in that season and then discover that all those years that you spent living your life, you were actually not happy. So as early as now, ask yourself this question, what, am, what makes me happy? Why am I happy? Or am I really happy? But ultimately, what is the answer to the question, what are you searching for? Join us, October 6th. It's going to be happening for a number of weeks, about four to five weeks, and we're going to do it together. I'm going to be there as well as, as, well as our discipleship uh, ministry, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful journey towards uh, knowing who you are more and more. All right, so do join us. Uh, if you've got questions, you can uh, ask us in our Facebook account. Uh, just connect with us, all right? So with that, I want to welcome you to talk number uh, number four of uh, our beautiful series called The Clash. 
our title for today is this, Invited versus Chosen. That's right. I wonder which one you are. Are you invited or are you chosen? You're going to find out more about this in a moment. But for now, we want to invite you to say our favorite family prayer as we, Ethan, join me, as we come in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Everybody stretch your hands out and say this with us. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today, I open myself to God's blessings, healings, and miracles. Today, I open myself to God's word so that I become more like Jesus every day. Today, I proclaim that I'm God's beloved, I am God's servant, and I'm God's powerful champion. Because I am blessed. I am blessing the world in Jesus' name. Amen. This happens to be the favorite part of Ethan, uh, where we get to sing and give honor to God's word. So can I invite you to stretch your hands out, Ethan? Lift your hands. And everybody, let's sing. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yeah, she is. We we wanna we we wanna encourage you to uh, open up not just your hands, but open up your hearts, open up your spirits, and expect that Jesus is going to speak something very personal in your life today. All right, as we welcome our dear dear friend, our spiritual mentor, brother Bo Sanchez. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the feast. And I am so happy to be able to share God's word with you today. I pray that our time together, you will be blessed in a very special way. God knows what you need to hear. God knows what you're going through. So are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to our very exciting study of the Gospel of Matthew. And today I want to preach this very simple message. Come to the feast. I know, you're, you're, Brother Bo, I'm already at the feast. I know, I know, but this is something so big, bigger than all of us. Come to the feast. Now, at the start of this talk, can I recruit your imagination to help me give this talk? All right. I want you to imagine that you are an ancient Jew living in ancient Israel. And I want you to imagine somewhere in the 90 AD, about the time when the Gospel of Matthew was written, all right? And I want you to imagine, okay, so you were an ancient Jew, so that means that when you were a kid in diapers, all right? There were no diapers then, but you know, you know my figurative, figurative speech. Um, the Torah was drilled into your skull when you were still a kid. The 613 laws of Moses were taught to you. And, and the, the Torah was your life. It was your oxygen and you ate it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That meant that you followed the law and uh, you ate kosher. Kosher food only. That means no pork and, and uh, no crabs and no shrimp and no Adidas, Bopis, Betamax, uh, IUD, and whatever, all right? And uh, you observe the Sabbath every Saturday, and you, you would not even light a fire for that whole day. You also were somebody, I mean, you, you, you loved God, all right? And then something happened. You've met Jesus, 
And when you met Jesus, your life was just turned around, you know, like 180 degrees and you gave your life to Jesus. And that was so wonderful. But even as you followed Jesus, you were still following the law of Moses. And it was pretty easy because your feast light where you were attending, <laughs> okay, I'm using our terms here, uh, the house church that you were attending, all 16 members uh, were all Jews. So it was pretty easy. But then one fateful day, some strangers started walking in to your feast light and added to your number. They were not Jews. There was this Greek guy whose body had, you know, covered with tattoos and tattoos were against the law, right? But no, he had tattoos and he had earrings, OMG. And an Ethiopian guy coming in with a funny accent. And then a woman comes in and she admits with tears in her eyes that she had, she was a prostitute. And <gasps> Okay, but, but at least they were loving Jesus. They loved Jesus. Jesus changed their lives and yoo-hoo! But then you get the shock of your life when you realize they were following Jesus, but they were not following Moses. In fact, they did not know, much less do, any of the 613 laws of Moses. You fell off your chair when you found out that they eat huh? lechon <laughs> and, 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 and crispy pata and, and gambas and pasta with squid ink. You know what I mean? So, so all of this were, were unclean food. They worked on Saturdays. What? You know, they did not even know who Abraham was. And so what you did was after the feast light, you know, <laughs> meeting, you, you pulled the, the, the leader, your, your feast light leader, the planter, that's what we call him here in the light of Jesus. You know, you pulled him to one corner and you said, I don't like these new guys. I mean, how can you follow Jesus without following Moses? And, and uh, this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. We are diluting the faith. We are destroying the church. That's what you're saying. But in reality, God was building the church. God was building a kingdom and under the reign of Jesus. And the Gospel of Matthew was speaking into this situation. Right now, can, can I just share this with you? Jesus was condemning this elitist attitude that we can have right now, modern time. Let's just jump right now to the 21st century. You know, sometimes we, when we meet someone with different beliefs and different practices, we can look down at them and we can say we're better. But today I want to preach to you that God is building a kingdom that embraces everyone. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's why I'm preaching come to the feast. Let's now dive into our key passage, Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. Are you ready? Here we go. The first line says, Jesus also told them other parables. That's how the key passage starts. Why does, why does Jesus say that? Because this parable is included into a set of three parables, the tale of the two sons, we talked about that, the tenants of the vineyard last week, and then today the wedding banquet. Now, this, this group is, I, I call it the underdog parables because the first and the third parable especially talks about two groups of people, the top dog and the underdog. And for some twist, all right, the underdog wins in these parables. Today, 
in your situation, do you feel that you are the underdog? Do you feel that you're a David fighting Goliath? Can I preach this to you that God, He always favors the underdog. So if you feel like you are the underdog, I want to say this to you that God is fighting beside you and that your victory is coming. Do I hear a loud amen? Amen. You can type that down and say, God is fighting beside me. Uh, my victory is coming. Okay, that's just a detour. Let's go back. He tells the story of the parable. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, by the way, in the gospel of Matthew, when you say kingdom of heaven, it doesn't mean some future paradise. No, it's a kingdom here and now. Can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Note, for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Check this out. These guests were already invited, okay? But they, they, they were just being reminded, but they refused. And so what an insult to the king. But do you know what the king does? Amazing. He invites them again. Let's read verse four. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. In our language, he emailed a copy of the menu with pictures of the lechon baka, you know, in brown, crispy, glorious, beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining now, you know, the, the delicious fat dripping. Never mind. Okay, I'm making you hungry. Um, but these guests responded in two ways, according to the parable. What? Let's read verse 5. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. People ignored the invitation of the king and it's because they considered other things in their lives more important than invitation. Here's the point. These were not sinful things. They were good things. Going to the farm, going to their job. Their, I mean, good things. But you see, that's the first temptation. It is distraction. The enemy of the best is not the worst. The enemy of the best is the good. Which means, and can I preach this to you? never settle. I want you to aim for the best. And do you know that the best is Jesus? Um, which, which brings me to a very important point that sometimes the deadliest weapon of the devil against us is not lust or greed or pride. It's distraction. Let me move on. In verse 6, Others, this is how they responded to the invitation, seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. What a horrible response. But I want you to connect this to the parable we just took up last week, where the tenants, the bad tenants, they killed the messengers of the landowner, which is the second temptation, diabolical. Can I give you a warning? The warning is this, sin, it will always start small. You know, the devil will not tempt you to, to sin big right away. No, it's, it's gonna be small sins. But always remember that if you will not fight sin while they are small, here's what's gonna happen. 
one day you may just find yourself fighting against God Himself. And so I encourage you, fight sin now, <laughs> now while they are small. Um, and then can I continue the, the, passage, the parable? Verse seven, the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their towns. I mean, this is justifiable, right? Pretty intense stuff, but justifiable. Like, like, yeah, you know, this king will be, what, you killed my servants? I was inviting you to a wedding feast? But, and, but sometimes we, we kind of like get uncomfortable here because, you know, is this God? I, I, thought the king, I thought the king was God, you know, what's this? Now, can, can I insert this Bible lesson? I hope you're listening. That in ancient Jewish literature, parables are not perfect analogies. It, it's not like every detail has a one-on-one -on -one alignment with, with a particular truth or message. That's not, that's not how we read the parable, okay? The, the juicier parts of the parable will continue in the second part of this talk, and I want you to open your heart and receive God's mighty word. Audie, preach away. Thank you so much, Brother Bo. I don't know about you, but I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving in this place today. Come on, type amen if you feel God's presence wherever you are. Whew, this is such a beautiful parable, and I'm hoping and praying that God is speaking to you today. Anyway, let's continue. Would you like to know what happens next? What the king does after he sends his army to burn the homes of those who reject his invite? I want you to turn to verse 8 of Matthew 23. It says here that the king said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited are not worthy of the honor. So here's what he wanted them to do. He says in verse 9, Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. That's right, everyone they see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. Does this kind of remind you about something? You know, something we might have studied many chapters ago in the book of Matthew. This is the Beatitudes all over again, right? Jesus was repeating this new upside down kingdom where he said that the weak will be made strong, where the poor in spirit will be uplifted, where the meek will inherit the earth. This was not a veritable party of the, of the who's who of society. No, this was actually a celebration where the VIPs were those who had a hard time getting their act together. Those who were struggling with sin so much. Those who were being rejected because they couldn't meet society's standards. In fact, Jesus said something very preposterous in verse 10. Let me repeat it. He said that the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet was filled with guests. I'm just going to throw this out there, all right? But isn't that a little bit unfair? You know, they brought in the, both the good and the bad alike. I mean, here you are, for example, trying your best to be good, following God's commandments, taking time to pray every day, studying scripture regularly, sleeping early on a Saturday night so that you can serve the very next day. And then you hear that the neighborhood bad boy whose first and last visit in church was uh, during his baptism, is <laughs> also invited to the same feast. How many of you are honest enough to tell me that that doesn't make sense? Come on, give me a hands up. It doesn't make sense, right? But that's because God's grace doesn't always have to make sense. See, God doesn't operate the way that we do. And one thing you got to understand is that this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus was building. It's upside down. That's why we need to change our expectations and then understand that Jesus, He came for those who were repentant and not for those who were righteous. 
He came for those who needed saving. He came for the people like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the adulterers, those who wanted a way out but couldn't find their way out. He came for those who were marginalized and misunderstood. He came for those who were sick and suffering. He came for the unworthy and the unloved. So if you think that you could fit into any of these categories, well, I've got some good gospel news for you right now. Jesus came for you. That's right. You're invited to his feast. See, Jesus' message for you and me today is that he's a God of new beginnings. He's a God, not just of second chances, but a God of many chances. And he has given you and me an open audience to God the Father so that we can approach his throne anytime we need to with confidence so that we can receive his mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, this is the heart of the feast, my dear friends. It's a banquet for imperfect people looking to encounter the perfect love of God. How many of you desperately need the love of God today? Give me your virtual hands up. Hallelujah. Woo, this is the message of this parable. You know, this, this parable is actually also deeply entrenched to the history, history of Israel. You got to understand the history of Israel. Remember that from the very beginning, God chose Israel to be his people. But then the question is, if that's true, how come Israel looked like a nation that was not chosen by God? I mean, for example, you know, for 400 plus years, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. I mean, they were in bondage, right? And eventually they were freed by Moses. But then they had to wander through the desert and dry land for 40 years before they entered into Cana. And then centuries after that, they were still just a tiny, tiny, tiny nation in the middle of giant kingdoms. I mean, they were surrounded by giant kingdoms. So if they were chosen by God, how come they looked like they were on the losing team? You know, they were losing battles left and right. Let me tell you why. It's because the nation of Israel was not always faithful to her spouse. I'm going to explain why I use that word spouse in a moment, but this is the truth. You know, God might have chosen Israel, but you know, Israel did not always choose God. You know, they rejected God so many times. They doubted God's promise. They even worshipped other gods. Remember that time when they built that golden calf in the middle of the desert? So to sum it all up, Israel took God's love for granted. And you know, one thing that I've learned in life, and I learned this the hard way, that when you take something for granted, or, or someone even, you know, you're bound to lose that thing. Remember this, if it's important to you, you better love it, or else you're going to lose it. Whatever it is, you know, people, relationships, time, health, money, work, if you don't want that thing taken away, then don't take it for granted. All right? Tell somebody beside you right now, you better love it, or else you're going to lose it. That's the truth. But you know what? In spite of Israel taking God's love for granted, you know God still honored His covenant with them? Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why God still honored His covenant with them? I'll tell you why. This is a beautiful point, all right? I need you to listen to this. God honored His covenant with them simply because that's what a covenant is. A covenant is a marriage, you know? God, in other words married Israel. That's why it's not an accident that this parable is about a wedding feast. God wants to show you and me right now that this is how a marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be unbreakable. But you see, the problem is we're broken people. 
And we are imperfect people. And so sometimes, you know, we're, we break our vow. Sometimes we turn our back on our promises. That's why we need the grace of God to help us follow it through and then finish our race with faithfulness. You know, we cannot do it alone. If you are in a rocky relationship, a rocky marriage right now, come before God and then ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Him to repair it or even to restart your marriage. You know, ask God to give you the strength to forgive each other and then to fight not with each other but for each other. And then also ask help. Ask help from trusted people, trusted friends, you know, your confidence. We have a couples ministry, by the way. If you want to journey with other couples, just connect with us. You know, ask help from the Lord. And the other thing that I love about this part of the parable is that it also shows us how God loves underdogs. That's right. Israel was actually the original underdog in th throughout history. You know, they were the original underdog. And God is showing us that, hey, he's got a heart for the underdog, for the losing party, for the little guy. So if you feel like you're on the losing end of life right now, don't lose hope. Why? Because that's just a setback. And in His perfect time, you know, I believe that God is going to use your big setback as a springboard for a greater comeback. Shout amen if you believe that. So I want you to keep the faith. Stay the course because God loves underdogs. But you know, here's something that you need to know. And this is very important for you, for you to listen to. God will always love you. How many of you believe that? God will always love you. That's the truth. But there are times when you don't feel or experience God's love. Why is that? The problem is actually not God. The problem is us. You know, God will always love you. But then you have the freedom to reject that love. You know, you can refuse to receive it. In fact, in the parable, it doesn't make sense how those were invited refused an invitation to a royal wedding. You know, some of you are like, you know, if that happens to me, I would never do that. No way. You know, never ever. And yet, some of you don't know that you are actually capable of committing the same mistake. How? By your refusal to receive Jesus into your life. Each time you do that, you know what you're doing? You are taking God's love for granted. You're saying, I'm not interested. You know, I'm too busy. I don't have the time for Jesus right now. I'm too busy with so many things. But you know what? Even with that kind of attitude, that's not going to stop God from loving you, from being faithful to you, from, from honoring you with this covenant. That's right, because God is faithful, whether you're faithful to Him or not. But you know, in the end, it's up to you whether you will accept and receive God's invite. See, that's what happened uh, at the end of the parable. Verse 11 says this. It says that, But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. And then he said, Friend, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let me explain this. Does this mean that when you come before the Lord, you need to be wearing you know, your Sunday's best? If that were true, you know, I feel bad for those of you who have not showered or have not brushed your teeth yet. <laughs> and those of you who are just wearing, you know, house clothes right now. How many of you can honestly, you know, tell me and, and agree with me that sometimes, sometimes when you come before the Lord, you don't come in your Sunday's best. In fact, instead, you come in your Sunday's worst, right? But you know what? I, I don't think that this is what it means in the passage. 
I mean, look at what verse, verse 11 says, all right? It says there that the king noticed a man who wasn't wearing what? The proper clothes for a wedding. Now, here's my question. What would constitute a proper uh, clothing or a proper attire for, for such a royal wedding? Is it a long tux or, or, or a long gown kind of event? You know, is it, is it a coat and tie kind of event? Or is Jesus actually referring to something beyond, you know, the clothes that we wear? Could he possibly be going deeper? I mean, this is a parable for, for, for crying out loud, right? Remember that the guests were invited the last minute. Some of them didn't even have money to spend on good clothes. Some of them might have been only been wearing, you know, simple attire. What am I trying to get at? Okay, here, listen to me. Here's my theory. Maybe the king got mad at the man, listen to this, not because of his outer attire, but because of his inner attire. Do you know that we all have an inner attire? There's an attire that people see, but there is an attire that only God can see. Yeah, it's called your attitude. Your attitude is an attire that you wear every day. See, God said something very beautiful in, in, uh, to Samuel. In 1 Samuel, God told him, he, he said, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. See, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, listen to me. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, when God looks at us, He goes beyond the clothes that we wear. He goes beyond the, the brand name of your jeans. He goes beyond the price tag of your designer bag. He goes beyond the value of your expensive shoes. Instead, He looks at what's more important. He looks at the posture of our hearts. He looks at your inner attire. This man came to the feast because he was invited. But you know what? He only came in appearance. He had no love for the king, no love for the king's beloved son. That's why he was thrown out of that feast. You know, the same thing could happen to you and me. You know, when, when we accept God's invite, we come wearing a beautiful attire, but deep within, we carry a bad attitude. We're judgmental. We're unforgiving. We're unbelieving. See, there are clothes that we wear that are not fitting for God's feast. You know, we're clothed in pride. We're clothed in arrogance. We're clothed in vanity. You got to throw those away. You know, throw those away. Throw those clothes and be clothed in humility. Be clothed in God's goodness and mercy. I want you to know that, that God's not expecting you, you know, to show up in a black tuxedo or a shimmering gown. You can even come in a decent attire and that will symbolize your humble yes to God's love. See, God doesn't expect you to show up all prepared. According to the historians, actually, listen to this. When a big social event happened back then, Jewish culture dictated that those who were invited, you know, they weren't given a specific time. Nobody knew what time the party would start. So the guests just needed to wait for the messengers to come and then inform them that the feast was ready and then they could come to the party. This actually explains why it says in verse 4 that the king said, the king noticed or rather, that the king sent the servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fattened calf had been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. Let me say that again. The feast has been prepared. One more time, just in case you didn't caught it. The feast has been prepared. My dear friends, this 
is the message of this gospel. You don't come to God's feast and prepare your own meal. No. God has made it ready just for you. He's already prepared it. So for that reason, salvation is already prepared. Mercy is already served. Grace is already served. New life is already served. You simply just need to come and then receive it. How? By receiving the beloved son of the king. And he's got a name. His name is Jesus Christ. I pray that you don't ignore the invite today, my friend. You can come in shabby clothes, in sloppy clothes, but what's more important is that you come with a heart that's humble and ready to receive Jesus. Are you ready to receive the Son today? If you are, let's pray. Let's come before the Lord. Let's come in the presence of Jesus. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Here before your presence, we come in full humility. We strip ourselves, Lord, from, any, from anything that might prevent us from seeing you. We strip ourselves from our self-made crowns, from our pride and our ego and our arrogance and things that we put on ourselves that we think will, 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 will glorify us. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to experience you right now. And we want to receive your immense and changing love. Thank you. Come into our lives. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph radio.